Check Me Out is a production of Panhandle PBS and Amarillo College's FM 90 and is recorded at AC's Washington Street campus. I had a hard time picking out a Mother's Day card this year oh, for that gosh. reason. Yeah, cards oh my gosh. Are the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mom, I, I love you, but this is really a bad poem in this card, you know, so I got a point. I love I you too own. much yeah, to yeah, give you yeah. a poem. <laughs> I give you a card with a bad poem. I know, they really are yeah. bad. No. Yeah, yeah. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Hillary Holsey, and today we are talking about poetry. The episode is entitled Roses Are Red. And it's R-E-A-D. So trying to be clever there. We have a lovely panel of guests to discuss poetry. So I'm going to go around in the circle and have them introduce themselves, starting with the lovely Stacy. I am Stacy Clopton-Yates. I'm the public relations coordinator for the Amarillo Public Library and a self-proclaimed poetry nerd. I am Karen Welch. I'm a producer for Panhandle PBS. And I love poetry because of my book club. Okay, and I'm uh, Dr. Eric Meljack. I'm an assistant professor of English at uh, WT. I'm also the director of the creative writing program. Um, that doesn't mean I actually do the creative writing, but I make sure all the creative writers are doing their creative writing. So <laughs> that's my that's job. important. That's my job. You and I organize readings and stuff. So yeah, but yeah, but that's my that's my gig. So that's what I do. Awesome. So to start it off, I know little to nothing about poetry. So that in in all of this, I'm just going to be observing and learning from all of you since you all have some sort of interest in it. So how about we start with explaining why it's so important to you and um, why should I or our listeners read poetry? We'll start with you, Eric. Oh, well, why should you read it? Because it's good. That's why. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so I'll just give kind of a backstory. Poetry became especially important for me in college. I had to take, uh, I was an English major. I never changed my major. I was always going to be an English major. And there's this thing called Poetry Workshop with George Bilgear. And um, George Bilgear has since won the Pushcart Prize, a big big time poet. But anyway, so I see I see Poetry Workshop. I figured this can't be a hard class. You just write poems and like you get an A probably. You know? <laughs> So um, so I get in there and I write a bunch of garbagey poems that he trashes at every like time he gets around to my poems at the workshops. He says, this is a bad one. This is a bad one. Here's why it's a bad one. And what I learned was that it was a craft. And it was a craft no different than painting or sculpture or uh, any of the plastic arts. And I started to fall in love with the ability to use words and uh, see how words function and what you can do artfully with words. I've always been interested in aesthetics and art. Always. I mean, when I was a wee little kid, I would love going to the art museum on field trips. So knowing that you could do art with words was really uh, interesting and cool to me. And um, I think what really got me into poetry was... I wrote this poem. I still remember the title of it. It was called The Summer of 93. And it was about this old lady that lived next door to us growing up. She was 100 years old when she died. And I wrote it about her old-timey old radio. I wrote this poem about her old-timey radio. Summer of 93. 93 was the year she died. And I won the poetry prize for the university that year, $100 poetry prize. 
And I said, boy, I can actually write poems. Now, I still, I can't write poems today. I've, I've lost the skill of winning hundreds of dollars at writing poetry. <laughs> but but the, the cool thing is, the cool thing is that I found out that it, it was something neat and that I like to do and that I'd like to read more of it. And as I progressed through my college career, I was taking poetry classes left and right. And I think basically what the fundamental importance of it is, is that is that it is the craft you can do with language that to me is closest to what a painter can do with oils or a sculptor can do with marble. And I think, I think that's what really strikes me about it. I, I think I would I would agree with that. You can paint um, pictures with words, just like you can, just like a photograph is worth a thousand words. But to me, the other thing about poetry is it's really more present in our lives than we think it is. It is, it's in some phrases that we use all of the time. It's in the poem Colossus on the, on the Statue of Liberty. It's in jazz, it's in rap. So to me, you know, even song lyrics taken by themselves are poems. So I began to look at it that way more when, when I started reading poetry with my book club. Uh, we've been together for nearly 20 years and it just opened my eyes. It wasn't something that just I, I left behind in college with poems uh, that were maybe heavier or more heavy lifting than I wanted to do all of the time. But to, to recognize verse everywhere around you is, is why I like it. I agree with both of you. Uh, I would add to that that poetry is a a comfort and a um, it gives you a way to I don't know identify your emotions in a way that other types of writing don't and there's actually a lot of science there's a huge amount of research that shows that for example reading poetry can create some of the benefits in your brain that music does so that's a good point that you brought up song lyrics so as, as a librarian, we're always telling people, just, just read. We don't really even care what you read. We just want you to read. And that's true. But it's also true that different types of reading make your brain work in different ways. And so reading fiction helps you build empathy. Reading graphic novels and comic books make your brain work in a different way because you have to integrate words and pictures. Reading poetry makes your brain work in a different way because of the rhythm and the the sense of the way the lines are are laid out on the page. And and also I would just add to that that reading different types of poetry, because there's so many different types of poetry, they all make you think in a they just make you think in a different way. They make you examine the world in a different way. And when somebody is able to take the wonder that you can feel when you see a sunset or your children playing and then put that in a poem, it's it's remarkable, and it just it makes my heart swell up. And then I would also add that one of the great things that poets do is they speak with economy. They put so much meaning and imagery into so few words, and that really, I love the fact that you use the word craft, Eric, because I think that is remarkable. One of the things that I just, as you were speaking, Stacy, that occurred to me was, um, I'm not going to go in my biographical background, but I've been living alone for like, alone like with no cohabitants no roommates no nobody i I have two cats but 
they don't they ignore me um but <laughs> as um cats do. Yeah, as cats do <laughs> cats are wont to do that you know but um i've lived alone for a long time and that can get sometimes a little bit quiet and depressing and there's this great professor in pennsylvania at indiana university of pennsylvania his name's uh, dr john marsden here's a shout out to dr john marsden he too has lived alone a long time and uh, he recommended a book to me, a book of poems by Galway Cannell called When One Has Lived a Long Time Alone. And he kept saying, you have to read this, you have to read this, you have to read this. And it was like Prozac. You know, <laughs> I read it and I said, oh, well, this isn't so bad. There's humor in this and there's loveliness in this. And that therapeutic sense of it or, or the sense that it can alter the way you think about things or the way you th- think about things is I mean, entirely accurate. You don't, I don't need a scientific study to prove that to me, although that's fine that they do them and I'm glad they do. But, but to me, it's just sort of like, yeah, it does that. And, and um, Galway Cannell's book was just fabulous for that for me. So. Poetry readings are, are that kind of therapy. Um, they make you feel comforted or calm or more introspective or looking at nature in different ways. If you haven't been to a poetry reading, it is such a an interesting dynamic. You get kind of if the room is quiet and it's and it's just perfect and somebody is reading poetry, you get kind of insulated like you're in this little bubble with the person reading it. And it speaks to you in a in a very personal way. And so I would encourage anybody to go to a poetry reading. There, we we are having them more and more in uh, Amarillo and Canyon. So uh, find one and, and see what that does for you. Email me. I do a ton of them. Yes. <laughs> he, he's got some lovely ones set up. What are the different ways that you can classify poetry? Like what kinds of poetry? Are there? Is that like the too broad of a question? That's, that's a pretty broad question, but there's obviously the there's free verse, and then you know you've got sonnets Classics. and limericks and haiku, and um, Eric, you're going to be better able to answer this. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to take over, um, but um. <laughs> I often sometimes dominate conversations uh, against my will. Um, but anyway, um, I'll, I'll say it this way. I'm, I'm teaching contemporary poetry in, um, in the fall at WT. And what's different about the way I'm approaching it is that we're not going to jump right into 20th or 21st century poetry. I'm tracing a trajectory that starts with Walt Whitman. Now, let me put the disclaimer up. Walt Whitman's in a lot of trouble right now because of some racist stuff that people have found in his in his works. But the classification of, of what becomes the contemporary poem, um, they, sure, there's 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 sonnets and there's still there's still these forms. But a lot of the free verse that we see today, I trace back, and and this is just through my training and stuff. You can see it. It starts in some ways, not every way, but it starts in some ways with what Walt Whitman was doing with Leaves of Grass. So I'm going to trace this kind of trajectory through time where we get 
to how poetry is now. One of the most popular uh, verse forms um, that folks are using right now, uh, it seems, at least from the poets I've brought to uh, Amarillo and Canyon, is the villanelle. The villanelle t- seems to be this this form that everybody everybody's really drawn to today. But we're going to trace a trajectory that goes through, and I, I brought some poems to today, things like the Impressionist poets or the Symbolist poets who were who were mainly French. Yeah, Baudelaire would be the, the, the one. He's at the end of the 19th century. Flowers of Evil, I think, is the name of the book. I don't know. I can't say it in French. But folks like Oscar Wilde jump into this Impressionist poetry kind of thing. And what they did, uh, these Impressionist poets, or this, they were also called the Symbolists. There's, there's an umbrella term. But they did this neat thing that that the Impressionists were doing in painting at the same time, which was capturing a moment. And I think that that's what contemporary poetry really does in a way that I'm going to get in trouble by saying this, but in a way that a Shakespearean poet or, or, or someone like Andrew Marvell just just doesn't do back a long, long time ago. I can read an Impressionist poem. Uh, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this is one by Oscar Wilde. So Wilde, um, for a variety of reasons, was really influenced by the French. And he wrote a lot of Impressionist poetry. And this one's simply called Impression du Matin. And what he was really trying to do in this poem was just capture a single moment in time. And, and it goes this way. It goes, it goes, the Thames, nocturne of blue and gold, changed to a harmony in gray. A bear with ochre-colored hay dropped from the wharf, and chill and cold, the yellow fog came creeping down the bridges, till the house's walls seemed changed to shadows, and St. Paul's loomed like a bubble o'er the town. Then suddenly arose the clang of waking life. The streets were stirred with country wagons, and a bird flew to the glistening roofs and sang. But one pale woman all alone, the daylight kissing her wan hair, loitered beneath the gas lamp's flare with lips of flame and heart of stone. And what I'd say that that poem does is just capture that daybreak moment, right? And we can interpret all the things that the woman might be and all kinds of, we can go into an interpretation. I don't think we need to do that. But, but you know, he was trying to capture that one moment, that, that daybreak moment. And I think that's what, that's a tradition that we grab from these Impressionist poets. And we have that in a lot of Billy Collins books I see sitting here on the table and stuff. I mean, a lot of poets are trying to capture those moments today. So I think um, that's kind of what's happening. One of the things that's happening. As you were reading that, it made me think of of this Billy Collins poem that I kind of flagged called Monday. The birds are in their trees, the toast is in the toaster, and the poets are at their windows. They are at their windows in every section of the tangerine of earth. The Chinese poets looking up at the moon, the American poets gazing out of the pink and blue ribbons of sunrise. The clerks are at their desks. The miners are down in their mines, and the poets are looking out their windows, maybe with a cigarette, a cup of tea, and maybe a flannel shirt or bathrobe is involved. The proofreaders are playing ping pong. The ping pong game of proofreading 
glancing back and forth from page to page. The chefs are dicing celery and potatoes, and the poets are at their windows because it is their job for which they are paid nothing every Friday afternoon. What window, it hardly seems to matter, though many have a favorite, for there is always something to see, a bird grasping a thin branch, the headlights of a taxi rounding a corner, those two boys in wool caps angling across the street. The fishermen bob in their boats, the linemen climb their round poles, the barbers wait by their mirrors and chairs, and the poets continue to stare at the cracked birdbath or a limb knocked down by the wind. By now, it should go without saying that what the oven is to the baker and the berry-stained blouse to the dry cleaner, so the window is to the poet. Just think, before the invention of the window, the poets would have had to put on a jacket and a winter hat to go outside or remain indoors with only a wall to stare at. And when I say a wall, I do not mean a wall with striped wallpaper and a sketch of a cow in a frame. I mean a cold wall of field stones, the wall of the medieval sonnet, the original woman's heart of stone, the stone caught in the throat of her poet lover. Mm. I love Billy Collins. <laughs> he's magical, isn't he? He really is. And uh, he's very modern, of course, and spent a couple of years as a uh, Poet Laureate of the United States. And I think he may have gotten me more interested in contemporary poetry than anyone. And of course, I've expanded out from there, but I, I do love his work. Thank you for sharing that. I have a stack of Billy Collins just because I can't, I can't not buy when his new one comes right. out. Right. Thank he, you both for those those readings. That was awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say he's a sense of, he's got a, this little sense of renegade in him. He kind of in a good way, kind of veers off from from what a lot of the seriousness that you see in poetry. Poetry does get rather serious at times, but Billy Collins has a sense of humor that he kind of creeps in and out of even his most serious poems. Even ones talking about grief, or, grief or death. You yeah. know, I mean, the the one the most beautiful one um, is Memento Mori. Is my favorite poem by him, but he talks about his own death and his own demise. And, and the final image in the poem, it's, it's kind of just hilarious, is his desk lamp limping along the the grass to his grave to look down at him one more time, you know. And you stop and think, you know, oh, this is a serious poem about death. But, oh, wait a minute, there's a lamp looking down into his grave. You know, it's just kind of a, you know, it, he has a sense of humor and this kind of renegade nature that makes him really fun and interesting. He yeah. likes a twist usually oh, yeah. at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like this that you were kind of tracing that you read Oscar Wilde and then you read Billy Collins because, you know, we see kind of how it's evolved over time. So what what purpose does poetry have? I mean, has its its significance changed over time? Um, do you think it's more important now than it was in the past? Does it serve the same purpose? I, th I think it's um, to me, it's a little bit like tracing the artists because you have the the impressionist who broke the rules and then as as Monet and Manet gave way to Cezanne um, then you have Picasso who totally turned things on its head and he's political so, right right it's completely right political. and so you know you can have political statements in poetry you can have uh, whatever but it's about kind of the next person breaking out of the mold and finding their own style I think yeah. but I do think it's also I think poetry is as important as it has ever been, but I also think it's not as much in the public sphere as it once was. 
so I think it's important for people to you 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 are correct, Karen, that it's in song lyrics and that it's attached to monuments. But you know, a hundred years ago, people would sit around in salons and read poetry a great deal more than we do today. Today, you have to seek out poetry readings. And uh, I read an article a couple of years ago about um, National Poetry Month, which is April, and that poetry is just not quite as much in the public sphere as it once was. And I think that's very sad. I so I'm so excited that you're doing this podcast so we can all talk about poetry because it is important. It is beneficial. It is beneficial to the way you think, to the way you feel. It's a great treatment for depression. But you do have to work a little harder to find it today than you once did. So I want to give a plug right now to the Academy of American Poets, which you can find at poets.org. And you can go there and you can sign up to um, receive a poem in your email every single day. It's called Poem a Day. It's a very clever title. And um, (laughs) it's pretty remarkable because they will send you old poems that are in the public domain and they will send you new poems that have not even been published in a book of poetry yet but have been provided to them by contemporary poets or they'll you know here's this poem and it was first published in this book and that's the copyright and so it is a great way to bring a little bit of poetry into your life every single day and also while you're there you can make a donation because they are a nonprofit and they are supporting american poets so so fantastic. I, I follow you on social media, obviously, uh-huh. Stacy, and I saw it's last month, um, we're recording this currently in May, uh, that you did post a poem pretty much every day, correct? I do. During yeah. National Poetry Month, I share a different poem every how day. How do you decide which poem you're going to post? What do you, you know, how do you do that? Well, I read a poem a day from the Academy of American Poets. Um, I also just read poetry. I I am lucky enough to work in a library, and I go and I look at the poetry books, and uh, I buy poetry books. So when I find a poem that I love, I save it on my poetry Pinterest board to consult later. And so I I am working on that all the time. Uh, Finally a use for Pinterest. I never knew what to use it for. (laughs) Now I have a reason to use it. I have a poetry Pinterest board where I save poems that I love. I have one for quotations, so it's about the same thing. Right. And, And articles about poetry that I love. Perfect. That's awesome. You know, another thing, Stacey tapped into this, is that, you know, poetry serves a purpose. And, and one of the things that, that contemporary poetry does, n- not, not across the board, but one of the things that it's done starting in, uh, after the modernist sort of uh, 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 kind of faded in the, say, 1950s or so, is it took on this, this dimension of making people aware either politically or humanly about certain things. And I'd like to read another poem for you this time th- that speaks just to that. And you'll, you'll get what I'm saying as I read this. This is by a poet. He's not really well known. Uh, he's a Brit- he was a British poet, John Silken. I believe he was born in 1930. He died in 1997. But this is one of my favorite poems of all time. And it speaks to how, uh, you know, I consider 90s still contemporary poetry. It speaks to how poetry has a use explains or or it does it does something more than just exist as this artifact so this one's called caring for animals i ask sometimes why these small animals with bitter eyes why we should care for them 
I question the sky, the serene blue water, but it cannot say. It gives no answer. And no answer releases in my head a procession of gray shades patched and whimpering, dogs with clipped ears, wheezing cart horses, a fly without shadow and without thought. Is it with these menaces to our vision, with this procession led by a man carrying wood we must be concerned? The Holy Land, the rearing green island should be kindlier than this. Yet the animals, our ghosts, need tending to. Take in the whipped cat and the blinded owl. Take up the man-trapped squirrel upon your shoulder. Attend to the unnecessary beasts. From growing mercy and a moderate love, great love for the human animal occurs. And your love grows. Your great love grows and grows. I think that poem serves a purpose, right? It tells you not only to love animals, but love people too, right? And I, and I see, in, in, especially in contemporary poetry, the desire to have the poem do more than just exist on the page, but make you think about doing something better for yourself, your community, whether it be a political action poem or a just love your neighbor poem. I mean, I, that's something that's completely different than, 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 I'm sorry to my Shakespearean friends, but a Shakespearean sonnet just doesn't tell you to do that, you know? It just doesn't, but that's okay. It's still a good poem. Um, but contemporary poetry has this kind of social movement to it that I think is very interesting. There's a, a book I've got called Jazz Poems, and it's about uh, poems about jazz artists. It's also uh, lyrics and things like that. And this one is also uh, political. It was a, a poem made famous by Billie Holiday, and I think we always hear it in song version, but instead here are just the words. Strange fruit. Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black body swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia, sweet and fresh. And the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck. For the rain to gather. For the wind to suck. For the sun to rot. For a tree to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. If you don't just hear it in the jazz version, but you think about the words and what they mean in the South at that time and jazz becoming one of the ways to get um, to to get other people to realize what was happening in the South, um, a poem turned song is an amazing political statement at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Stacy, did you have something? You I to? do. Okay. I actually now see Eric and Karen brought books of poetry, and I did not. So I'm trying to find the poem. A phone that, of poetry is good. Um, a phone of poetry is perfectly acceptable. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I have a poem that I love that I think is uh, goes along those lines with talking about how we should be and how we should do. And this is called The Place Where We Are Right by Yehuda Amikai. I, I hope I'm saying that right. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing the poet's name correctly there. You're forgiven. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Place Where We Are Right. And I think these days it is a very 
poignant and relevant poem. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trumpled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Well, that is mm. perfect for these days. Yeah. You guys are making me tear up over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that hit such a nerve. I mean, I'm sure if I thought about it a little bit more. Um, wow. But, so, but that's part of the thing about poetry. That that poem was, what, let's see, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines. Mm-hmm. And... Mm not even long lines right but it is very affecting it does say something really powerful well and it's not only what's new but what's old it's powerful so it transcends it it describes something happening then that still happens today you know so it traces itself through time yeah and i'm really struck like by what hillary said about emotion because I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm jumping and harping on, on, on political action and human action and stuff like that. But poems can also move you to, um, to a silence and a reverence about how you feel about yourself. And I'll, I'll just read one more. Um, this is this is by George Bill Gear, who was my teacher and I consider a good friend. Uh, he won the Pushcart Prize w- recently, and I had I had him on WT's campus about three and a half years ago. Now he came and did a did a reading, and just just a short short to tell you uh, how popular poetry is in in this area, believe it or not. So I had scheduled George's reading for a small room in the library at the campus of WT, and I had gotten a small grant to bring him here. And I expected 40 people to show up. I was told later on by several people that the administration expected 20 people to show up. The audience was 135 people. Fantastic. So mm-hmm. certainly there, there's, there's people who want this here. But speaking to emotion, you know, certainly, certainly emotion and the thought of how one feels still plays into poetry. And this is one of my favorite newer poems by George. It's called Horseplay. And I'm reading it without his permission. Uh, George, uh, forgive me, okay? Horseplay. It's a little bit funny too, so, so you can laugh if you want. So, I am floating in the public pool, an older guy who has achieved much, including a mortgage, two children, and health insurance, including dental. I have a Premier Rewards gold card from American Express, and my car is large. I have traveled to Finland. In addition, I once met Toni Morrison at a book signing and made some remarks she found, quote, extremely interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And last month, I was the subject of a local news story called Recyclers, Neighbors Who Care. In short, I am not someone you would take lightly. (laughs) But when I began to playfully splash my wife, the teenaged lifeguard raised her megaphone and calls down from her throne, no horseplay in the pool. And suddenly I am 12 again, a pale worm at the feet of a blonde and suntanned goddess (laughs) 
And I just wish my mom would come pick me up. And I just think, wow, George, you're really funny, but don't we all feel like we would love our mother to come back and pick us (laughs) up again and get us out of that little bit of trouble, even if it's a little bit of trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, poetry can still do that, too. And I think I think that's another dimension we we ought not mistake is is the emotional, the emotional uh, attachments poetry gives us or the connection. So when Hillary said she felt emotional by that, I thought, oh, George's horseplay is just that kind of poem. I mean, I mean, there are days when I want my mom to come just give me a hug and she's 1300 miles away in Cleveland, Ohio. So it's just, you know, it's just, it's just, it's important uh, at that level too, you know, not just activism or doing something, but, but making you feel something that maybe you haven't felt since you were 12 and you need to recall that feeling in order to be, in order to feel that feeling so that you can learn how to handle those feelings when mom's not around anymore or, when you need to remember the comfort of those arms, you know, I think that's important. Right. The rescue in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have a, and have a sense of humor at the same time. Right. right. Mm-hmm. A sense of humor about it. Yeah. Humor is good in poetry. Absolutely. Look at Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss was very funny. And, and uh, as we've mentioned, Billy Collins, um, I think Nikki Giovanni also has a lot of humor in her poetry. I love her work because she makes ordinary things seem special and sexy and just in the moment and she's very she's very sort of casual about it you know she doesn't her poems don't suggest that you should read them in a sonorous voice or anything like that she just takes everyday things and makes them wonderful that's why it's better to go to poetry readings than listening to me read them um, <laughs> or know, me. Um, you know I just you know when the poet reads them you know they there's just something so different about it. You really get, I mean, we had um, uh, just this last uh, uh, National Poetry Month, at the beginning of the month, we had a poet, a noted African-American poet, uh, Tim Siebels, on campus do a reading. And I had read some of Tim's poems to students, and then Tim came to read them. And he was way more popular than anybody on campus for three days um, (laughs) just because he read them and he was just such a cool guy in the way he read them. Um, There was this gorgeous moment, this, this young, young female student, he was reading this poem about a young woman he, he was in love with when he was a teenager in high school and the way he read it. Oh, her name, her name is Deanne. And, uh, Deanne just swooned in her seat and was just like, read that again, read that again, read those lines again. Something just so great about listening to the poet read his or her own work because they know how that's supposed to sound, right? The inflection. Yeah, the inflection, where to put the emphasis and stuff. And we lose that on the page. I mean, I mean, I would... I would, you know, I keep knocking Shakespeare, but I would love to hear Shakespeare read his own sonnets because I bet you I'm missing something, you know, but unfortunately we can't bring him back yet. <laughs> One of the great things about being alive in a modern age, though, and, and there is nothing like a live poetry reading. That is amazing. We had a great one at the library in April uh, as well. We yeah, had Forrest yeah, Gander. Yeah. And by a strange coincidence, he came and did a poetry reading at the library and one week to the day later won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. So 
Yes, I was very excited. I was like, I was just standing there talking to him a week ago. Um, and, and that was amazing. But the great thing about being alive today and being a poetry lover is that a lot of poets record their own audiobooks of their poetry. Oh, yeah. So you right. can, yeah. through through the magic of audiobooks and YouTube, you can hear uh, poets read their own work. And it's really, if you don't have a lot of opportunities to go to actual poetry readings, then this is a great way to hear poems read as they should be read. Yeah, that's a good point. Modern technology brings us poetry, which is really cool. So do you guys have a favorite poet? Hillary, that's like asking me to choose my favorite book. We've been here before. I, I know, <laughs> but I had to. We've mentioned some of my favorites. I love Billy Collins. I love Nikki Giovanni. Um, I really like the current Poet Laureate of the United States, Tracy K. Smith. I, I think she does some some really remarkable stuff. Mm-hmm. I love Emily Dickinson and Edna St. Vincent Millay. I do love Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. I knock him a lot, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm doing that because I know who's going to be listening to this, and I want to get in a fight with them. So that's. Oh. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Our, our Shakespearean at the university. So, yeah. I'm a Billy Collins fan, um, mostly because he's just so relatable, and the that wry humor in there is, is what I like to to read. But um, also, you know, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I love Bob Dylan. His lyrics, mm-hmm. uh, they they by themselves are poems. Yeah, I've always been partial to Philip Larkin. I don't know why I like Philip Larkin. Um, there's a there's another poet, Paul Muldoon. He's from the United Kingdom. Um, I I always liked Paul Muldoon's poetry. He wrote a, a an interesting poem. It's a post colonial poem, um, written from a Native American's point of view. It's called Meeting the British. And it's about the fact that the gifts from the British were two blankets embroidered with smallpox, you know, obviously making a gesture toward the fact that, you know, we wiped out millions of people settling this land. And in terms of a political dimension, I like Paul Muldoon, but but I've always been partial to Philip Larkin, the 20th century, great 20th century uh, British poet. Was, he, I, I read him all the time just for fun, so... You told us about your $100 poem. Do do you guys still try to write poetry or do you write poetry? I do not. Um, I I won't say I never do. I wrote a poem a while back, but I... I do not consider myself a poetry writer. In fact, I told Forrest Gander when he was uh, when he was here that I'm not a poetry writer. I am a poetry reader and a lover of poetry. And he said, we need those. And I said, thank you very much. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I've written some, but it's a good exercise. I think it's what we were talking about before, about mindfulness, about being in a moment, about cherishing just this 10 seconds or this thing you see uh, out in nature or those sorts of things. So I think it's a good exercise for for trying to slow everything down and all of that. So that's would be why I write it. And I think anybody should try it. Yeah, I, I write occasionally. I always introduce other poets by introducing myself as the failed poet. So here's the good poet. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, 
even still, I mean, occasionally I'll I'll sit down and write write something. And I see you have Shara Hammonds, who's our great Amarillo local poet. She's also a writer in residence at WT. Um, yes. So I'll write a poem and give it to Shara, and then she'll send it back to me with red ink all over it, <laughs> um, which is fine. That's what I ask her to do. But um, occasionally I'll, I'll sit down and, and, and write something. I don't write nearly as much as I used to. I did have a creative writing minor and did a lot of creative writing all the way through grad school. But, you know, when you're trying to get tenure, academic writing is what they want you to do. So. Some things take priority, I guess. <laughs> and know. I think that's a good point about good poetry and bad poetry. It's one of the things that is just remarkable about poetry because the difference between a good poem and a really awful poem is, let me figure out exactly how I want to say this. You know, there are some books, some stories that are extraordinary, and we all know that's as really special. To Kill a Mockingbird is an amazing book, and it's right. way ahead of a lot of other books. The books that are under it are, are okay, whereas poetry, it tends to either be good or really bad. You know, there's a lot of really bad poetry out there, and I don't know that there's a lot of mediocre poetry, if that makes sense. Well, I had a, I had a hard time picking out a Mother's Day card this year oh, for that gosh. reason. Yeah, <laughs> Reading cards are oh the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mom, I, I love you, but this is really a bad poem in this card you know so i got a point i love you too much to give you a point i know you're hard with a bad point i know they really are bad yeah yeah thank you all for being here we have come to a well it's time essentially (laughs) i know you guys could probably talk forever about poetry but uh i appreciate all of your your input and well, this has uh, been I think, fun. Thank you. Yes, for and us. I, you guys need to be kinder to yourselves as far as reading poetry. There was a point, and I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, that I was just lulled into this space and I wanted to fall asleep. And <laughs> I just—it it was warm. It was like that bubble and cocoon that you were talking about. So it is. Be kinder to yourselves. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, book lovers, and remember to click subscribe wherever you may be listening to this podcast. Special thanks goes to the Mag7 for providing us with music, to Scotty Vanderford, Cullen Lutz, and Stevie Brashears for designing us such a cool logo. See you next time.